Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. So glad that you guys are here and glad that you joined us. This is an amazing topic. Our, um, um, I think for us as believers, the more informed we are, especially in the days that we're living in, the more I just feel that we are equipped to help others enter into the kingdom, not with, to help us fight against others. It is with the intention that we can help others enter into God's amazing kingdom. Because that, that's what God wants. God wants to, He loves people, and He wants everybody to, to be saved. So if you have a Bible, uh, for those of you that still carry it around, it's a fantastic thing to do, um, to, to have your Bible, just to turn in it, mark in it, you know, make notes in it, it's yours. It's like something that you have, Umri still has a Bible from when she was 16, and it's um, all marked up and written in my one Bible. is so full of marks that I, like I have to go through a new one because it's, it's just, there's no more room to make notes in. So so if you carry a Bible, please turn to Second Peter. We're going to spend some time um, in Second Peter today, um, and we're going to look at a different sections. Um, and the the title for this morning's message is God's Alarm Clock. It's the first part. That's the title for the series. And then this morning is, is it indicating that we are in the last days? Is God's alarm clock telling us? Is it going off? And telling us, listen, we are living in the last days. Now, some of you might have done this. Some of you might have experienced this. When, when you, your kids are young, you want to teach them to pray a prayer. And what most people do um, when they don't necessarily know that you can just speak from your heart, they try to teach their kids prayers, and they teach them this prayer when they go to bed. Um, the prayer is, now I lay me down to sleep. Then, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Then, this is the best part. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's a very scary prayer. If you think about it for a five-year-old, right? It's like if I could die. Like, is this a possibility? You mean this can happen? And, and for five-year-olds, I think in the one sense, it's good to be taught the idea of the eminence of death. It's like the possibility is there. If I should die before I wake. And the same, I think, for every single one of us. The reality is there. The possibility for every single person is that, that our lives could end. It could. There's a possibility of that. So are you living in your last days? Possibly. In yours. But, but we're going to look at the, the general, the bigger picture of that. So... This world and this universe that we are living in, um, next week we'll look at that a little bit more. We're going to talk about heaven next week. Um, this universe, this earth, will someday, all of this that you see around you, it will come to an end. <laughs> That's the one part. I mean, I understand the whole principle of trying to save the, the, the planet for our children's children's children. And that's a good thing, Right? Think about it. Do everything you can to be as responsible with the planet as you can. But here's the, the truth. You can't save the planet. Because the Bible says it's going to be destructive. It's going to be destroyed. So this world, this universe, this earth will someday come to an end. It will. But when will it come to an end? Well, people have made many predictions about that. Here's one of the first one. A well-known Christian said, uh, the last days... Uh, if you guys have it, are upon us. 
Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and visible. That's a quote from a, a church father, one of our main church fathers, Ignatius. And you know when this prediction was made that the last days are upon us? 110 AD. That's a while back. Here's another one. Hippolytus. In 236 AD, said that the world is coming to an end within the next few years. That's 236. And these are church fathers. These aren't just weirdos. These are people that actually planted churches, established the kingdom and church structure. Fantastic leaders. Another one that you might know in the 1500s, his name is Martin Luther. Right? You heard of that guy? He wrote, we have reached the time of the white horse of the, of the apocalypse, apocalypse. This world will not last any longer than another hundred years. That was in the 1500s. So this is a question. Um, Christopher Columbus, he was, a, he was a very devoted Christian, wrote quite a few books. He wrote a little book called The Prophecy of End Times. He predicted in 1656 that the earth is going to last 155 years, and after that, it's going to be gone. Nothing left of it. So a question that Christians have asked for every generation that you can think of, even the disciples asked Jesus, are we in the last days? So let's answer that. Are we in the last days? Is this it? In 1980, I'm going to give you some more examples first. There was a little book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. <laughs> Very close, 84. Um, and then 1988 happened, nothing happened, and then they changed the title to 89 Reasons. Why Jesus is coming back in 19? Still not 84. It's still 89. So the author had to revise his dates because none of those happened. In 1996, another popular set of books, they were called the Left Behind series. Now, some of you are here because you were scared into the kingdom because that book turned into a movie that some of you... How many of you saw the Left Behind series? Yeah, you see, it's all the people that will join our senior adults group. <laughs> Sorry, Yvonne. <laughs> no, so, I mean, it's, it's like it became a complete series, and I know a lot of people, man, it scared a lot of sin out of them because they accepted Jesus, so then all sin were gone. Uh, do you remember in 2000, in the year 2000, the big Y2K, people were predicting the end of the world. Like, this is it, Armageddon, right now. Um, you know, technology is going to fail. The, the world is going to go to chaos. There's going to be riots and fires and, and break-ins. And, you know, my, my sister was in hospital um, during that time because she was giving birth to Amareen, my cousin, um, who was born um, at a, a January 1st, 2000, um, in the morning, my niece. Um, uh, Cousin niece, like Nikhi Neef. What is the verschil? Who can you know with Engels and Afrikaans? It monkey sinny. Sorry for all the Afrikaans people. I just told them that English is a ridiculous language. Um, <laughs> it is. So, so in 2000, so she was in the hospital. They weren't sure. They were ready, like C-section old style. Water, warm towels, warm water, everything ready, bucket, right? Let's get everything ready for in case all the machines failed and nothing happened. 
baby was born, and, she, and she's fantastic. 2014, another big prediction we made. 8th of September, no people who sold everything they owned. I told them, next time, just give it to us. Like, <laughs> makes more sense. 2016, September 28th, another big prediction. world's coming to an end. So what we're dealing with is an area of study that is called eschatology. Eschatology is from a Latin word. It means the last things, the last events, the end of time. Now, I think that you'll agree that the study of prophecy is a good thing. Studying the prophetic is a good thing. But it can also get very weird. Um, there are some people who, who have an unhealthy relationship and preoccupation with prophetic, not pro, pathetic, prof, yes, my tongue is morning, prophetic things. They're all about the study of things that's going to happen, and they look for everything as a sign. Everything they see is, oh, there's a daisy on the road. In Revelations, it spoke about that. When there are daisies on the road, you're going to see the white horse coming, and <laughs> everything becomes the end time. Um, so it can be a very unhealthy preoccupation, but it can also be a very healthy one. Why is it healthy? Because it gives hope. Like none of us think of the end of the world sounds like hope, but for believers... I mean, that's what we're living for. It's amazing. So I'm going to look at five things, five keys of the last days, and try to answer the question, are we in the last days? The first key is the last days are foreseen by Scripture. Um, they are predicted. The last days, they are talked about, they are written about. There's a lot of information about it. So let's read Second Peter chapter 3. It says, Beloved, I write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord our Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. There's the phrase, the last days, walking according to their own lust. I'm going to get back to the meaning of, of that, those, the words in that verse in a moment. I just want to focus on the words last days for a moment. So you've got a nice foundation. This phrase shows up five times in the New Testament. Five different authors write about the last days. Luke in Acts writes about it. Paul in 2 Timothy. Um, once by James. Once in Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, um, but it's mentioned there. And then right here in 2 Peter chapter 3, we see the word last days again. Five authors in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, um, they use a different designation, but the same meaning. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Hosea and Micah, all of them write about the latter days. Same meaning, different words. I love the way Daniel puts it. Daniel writes about it. He calls it the end. <laughs> it's very clear. It's going to be the end. Daniel calls it the appointed time. He also calls it the time of the end. And finally, Daniel designates it as the end of days. It's at the end of days. So back to the question, are we in the last days? Here's my answer. Yes, we are. We are in the last days. But we've been in it for 2,000 years. Now, I want you to get this, because according to Scripture, we have been 
in the last days. When did the last days start? The last days start, started when Christ came. And what are the last days when he comes back again? So we are in the time period of the last days. Let me show you that. In Hebrews chapter 1, the author begins by saying, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets. Listen, he says, He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So when Jesus showed up, the last days started. Whom he made heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. These are the last days. Peter, remember Peter and Pentecost. Peter quotes a prophet by the name of Joel. He says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Remember we spoke about the Holy Spirit being poured out over all during Pentecost. And they were filled so that is a signal, a sign for us that we are in the last days because it's also what Joel told us that will happen. Paul taught the church to anticipate. We should anticipate the return of Christ. We should look for it. Did you know that the early church um, in those days when they just planted the church, they had a greeting? It was so part of their culture. It was how they greeted each other. Um, they used to have the word, the Jewish culture used to have the word when they see each other, they would go shalom, which means peace. Thank you, Wayne. So shalom, peace. But they changed their greeting to a new word. And the word, if you read in the King James, you will find it. The word they changed it to is the word maranatha. So when they would see each other, they would go, Maranatha, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. So it was an exciting thing. It wasn't a downer. It wasn't, oh, the Lord is coming. It was something that they looked forward to. Christians would say to each other, it's a great word. And they kept on reminding each other there is a hope. When I say the Lord is coming, it is words of hope that I am speaking. For us, we don't fear judgment anymore. Because the word says the judgment seat, us as believers that we're going to stand in front of, it's called the Bema seat. The Bema seat means what? Seat of reward. So for believers, when we die, when we see Christ again, we're not standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ where he judges our sins. Why? Because your sins, they have been dealt with. But when you see Jesus again and you stand in front of the judgment seat of God, you're standing in front of the Bema seat of God, which is the receipt of the, the seat of or the, the throne of reward. So as believers, you will receive rewards in heaven. So we are in the last days, and we are given signs about the very end of the last days. And Jesus said, when these things start to happen, he's instructing us, what should we do? Lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. It's good news. So there are indicators. And we look at some of them, we're going to look at some of them a little bit more later on. So we are in the last days. Yes, we are. Here's the thing about the last days. What should be our focus in the last days? 
Is the focus of the last days the mark of the beast? No. Is the focus of the last days a European common market? No. Is the focus of the last days the Antichrist? No. You see, in, in, there are many churches that makes that the focus. Oh, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. The mark of the beast. That is not the focus of the last days for us as believers. The focus of the last days is Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And that leads us into number two. Gives, gives us the second key as seen in Peter. Not only are the last days foreseen, told about, indicated, but the last days... They're focused on Jesus Christ. Remember Peter, um, John and James, they, Jesus said to them, come with me up the mountain, I'm going to go pray. And then Peter and John and James, they were up on the mountain and they fell asleep. And then what happened is they wake up. And what do they see? On the mountain with Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Now these two represent what? Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets, prophetic, right? So for the Jewish culture, the law and the prophets, those were big issues. Those were big deals. Moses showing up there, it's a big deal. Elijah standing there, it's a massive deal. So Peter wakes up, he sees Jesus having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. So what does Peter do? He starts talking like he normally does nonsense in, in the first instances. And they're like, oh, oh. This is so amazing. Uh, should we, let's build a tabernacle, Jesus. We're going to build a tabernacle for Moses. And we're going to build one for you, Jesus. And we're going to build one for Elijah. Let's build tabernacles, tents for each one of you. And then there's this voice that comes from heaven. And the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the next moment, what happens? Moses and Elijah is gone. And who's left on center stage? Jesus, indicating to us that when you have Christ, the law and the condemning words of prophets, God's word of judgment that used to come over the people, they have no value for you anymore. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. So Jesus is the son that should be on center stage. He is the capstone of the last days. He is what it's all about. You want to sum up your whole Bible, all 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years. You could sum up the whole entire Bible by saying it's about one person and two events. The Bible's about one person, two events. First, who's the person? Jesus is the one person. What are the two events? The two events are the first coming and his second coming. His first coming is to deal with sin. His second coming is to rule and reign with people who have been forgiven of their sins. It's all about Jesus. That's the Bible in a nutshell. You probably have a smartphone or an Android, if you're weird. <laughs> right, it is. Like, it's like, how many of you know normal people that have Android phones? That proves my point 100%. Thank you for that. Right, so, but, but what, what do you have to get into your phone? Most of us have what? We have codes, right? We've got a password. We've got a code. So it's either, you know, your face, it recognizes your face. It's so funny, the twins, they aren't here, but, but it's like, you know, facial recognitions, they are so close 
identically that they can use each other's faces to unlock each other's phones. Um, but fingerprint, you've got a fingerprint sometimes. Um, you use a fingerprint. Um, but most of us have passwords, right? We've got passwords to get into our phones. It opens up the phone so I have access to it. Now that I'm in it, I have apps in it. Now, sometimes I can navigate through an app, and then I get to a place where I need a code again to either purchase something in that app or to update it, whatever my sub subscription might be gone. And, and now they make it like you have to change your passcodes every three months on some, some apps. So you're trying to think, yes, what was it last time? <laughs> right? Are you there? Like, I just, all I keep doing is I just keep adding exclamation marks. <laughs> like, I'm like exclamation mark number five now, right? I just keep adding it. And then I'm like, was it four or was it five? But here's the thing. To unlock the prophecies and the Bible, there's one password for everything in there. It's J, you want to write it down? E-S-U-S. Jesus unlocks every prophetic word spoken in the Old Testament. If a prophetic word does not point towards Christ, you, are, you have the wrong interpretation. It unlocks everything about Jesus. Jesus unlocks the whole Old Testament, and the New Testament is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament spoke about. It's Jesus. When you have Jesus at the center, you understand Isaiah 53. One of our biggest scriptures we use over Christmas. Right? You, you understand Psalm 22. You understand Genesis 22. All of it will make sense when it's about Jesus. So Jesus has to be the center of it all. <clears throat> Hallmark number three. Have some water, please. I don't know. I was doing some tiling yesterday. And um, <clears throat> I always wonder why people wear masks. <laughs> because I, I use the new kind of grout that is the, the sandless one that's just a powder. And I was mixing it and kind of... And I said to Ermi, like last night at about 2 o'clock, I think the concrete set. <laughs> it felt like it. Like, okay, it's stable now. It's not going anywhere. So... <clears throat> This morning, I'm dealing with ivory grout. So hallmark number three, the third hallmark, they will be filled with apostasy. A defector is somebody who is an, an apostate. Apostate. I love learning new words. It's one of my goals that I have right now. I'm learning bigger, newer words to keep up with Jay. <laughs> I cannot pronounce all of them. But I'm learning that. I know what they mean. Sometimes I, I struggle in with, with the whole English language. Um, so so what, are, what is somebody, what is apostasy, apostasy? What is an apostate? It is someone who had a position and left that original position somehow. They drifted away from it. They walked away from it. So, so the three things that we'll recognize, there are clear signs in the Bible. There's indicators that, that we are in the last days. Second thing about a key regarding the last days, make it about Jesus. The third sign that we will find key regarding the last days is there are people that are going to leave their original position regarding our faith. This is not talking about unbelievers. These are believers. Second Peter two chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter two says, "But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring." In destructive heresies, 
even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves a swift destruction. This is talking about the church. This is within the church. The entire second chapter from 2 Peter, beginning to end, is devoted to apostates, deserters, false teachers, or deserters who become false teachers. And get this. All of this is in the church. Not outside, inside. In the last days, according to Scripture, there will be a falling away from historical Christian truths. We would call it strong Christian theologies and doctrines. People will fall away from them, change them to become comfortable with culture, Adapt them so that they don't have to stand out as something different than what the world is. Apostates. 1 Timothy 4 says the following. The Spirit expressively says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Or better put, demonically inspired teaching. Many will depart from faith. That's apostasy. That's drifting away. That's walking away. That's deserting. It's leaving the original position of Christian theology. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, check, lovers of money, boasters, proud, Blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is not a good list. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and for such people, Paul writes, turn away, run away, get away from that. So the last days will be marked by a drift away from biblical truth, replacing the truth with deceptive ideas. So Peter, Jude, Paul, and John, all of them write about this. In the last days, you can expect deception. Now, I suppose that, that if, if you want to figure out at what stage of the last days we are in, that's probably one of the areas that we can look into and identify, I think we are in the last days. This is so significant. There's a survey done this year, very interesting study, that revealed that 52% of all evangelical Protestants, now if you didn't know that, that's you. 52% believe that salvation, which is probably the most basic thing in our faith, how salvation comes. 52% of them believe that salvation comes by faith in Christ and good works. Now, 52% means the majority. So most evangelical Protestant believers believe that you get to heaven by doing good things and by believing in Jesus. 
Are good things bad? No. Because of my relationship with Jesus, my actions are going to change. Because of my love and the grace that I've received from Him, my life is going to change. I am going to start making different decisions. But that is not what gets me saved because it's not what got me saved in the beginning. I am saved because I believe in Christ. So more than half of believers believe that. There's a book that's written. It's called Preachers Who Are Not Believers. And this is shocking. Uh, Just in North America, there are preachers that they've held private interviews with, private meetings with, and they ask them theological and faith-based questions. And when it comes to it, the, the, the preachers are at a place where they are atheistic, but they still occupy the pulpit. They, they, the Christian that say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at the place where I can still say that salvation only comes by Jesus. It's heresy. It's not truth. It's lies. People adapting the word, the word in regards to marriage because they want to be culturally and socially correct. It's lies. About gender. It's lies. Now, if you don't believe in apostasy or or that it's real, that that people are really moving away from it, we see it right from the beginning, from the early churches. In Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus writes these postcards to the seven church groups. Beautiful little postcards. And in each one of these letters, he he notes uh, that there are seven churches except one of them. The other six, he says to them, listen, you have fallen away from, listen to the words he used. From your original position. Original truth. You've adapted the truth to suit you. So in the very least, this is a warning for us as a church. Um, I I said in our executive team meeting the other night, we were sitting down. I said, you know, it's so interesting how the churches who we are in relationship with across the world, it's as if God is telling all the pastors independently, I want you to teach on foundational truths that will help the church to have a firm footing and foundation to stand on. Without, without knowing, talking about it, we are teaching on the same topics. Last week, Joel in Reading, um, in Red Deer, yeah, in Red Deer. Well, what did he teach on last week? How many of you know? The last days. Did I know that? No. What's he teaching on this week? Heaven. Why? Because there are some principal things that God is telling the church, I want you to know these things in the times that we are living in, that you have a solid foundation, not to tell others that they are wrong, but that you have a foundation to love others into the kingdom and to give them hope. So, number four, the last days, according to to Peter, will be framed by skepticism. 2 Peter 3 verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament guys, and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, that's the New Testament guys, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, Walking according to their own lust and saying, where 
is the promise of His coming. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Now get this. Just as apostasy is the mark of the religious world, from the religious world that we are in the last days, the mark from the secular world is mockery. That's what scoffing means. The word scoffer means one who treats lightly what should be taken seriously. So it's somebody who ridicules the truth. I love the message translation. The message writes it this way. First of all, you need to know that in the last days, mockers are going to have a heyday. Reducing everything to the level of their puny feelings, they'll mock. It's as if Peter anticipated social media. Everything just gets reduced to to puny feelings. But I feel this way. But it's not the truth. So they mock. Their response is mockery. Uh, Have you ever recently, I don't know how many have ever, but how many have recently shared your faith with somebody who's not not a believer? And and when you, good. And, And when you share your faith with them who's not a believer and you start talking about Jesus coming back again, um, a very typical response is, ha, you really believe that? Ha, you'll hear that a lot. Ha, my grandmother taught me that also. My grandfather told me that. And look what's happened, nothing. Jesus hasn't showed up yet. Well, good for you. <laughs> because if he has, trouble. Now, you need to know why they scoff. Here's why mockers, here's why the world scoffs at Christianity. Here's why the world mocks Christianity. Here's why um, mockers mock. Here's why haters of Christianity hate. The haters going to hate, 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 hate. Then I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. Shake it off. Shake it off. You're welcome. It's because... It's, you know why they mock and why they hate and why they, they ridicule? It's because um, they want to have pleasure without accountability. That's why. I didn't make that up. It's in verse 3. No, not of the song. <laughs> not of the song of the scripture. Uh, it's in verse 3. It says... Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. There it is. They want pleasure without accountability. They don't want you or Jesus or anybody else telling them what to do. It's all about what they want to do and all about their pleasure and their own lusts. So that's one of the marks of the last days, it's going to be, we are going to be mocked and ridiculed by the world. Number five, and I want to give you the fifth one, this is the last one. In the last days, and this is the best one, in the last days, we are going to be faced with hope. Because there are not just apostates, and there are not just scoffers, but there are also true believers. And for us as believers, we have this incredible hope. We're going to face the same future 
with hope. No matter what happens, if you're a believer, you have hope. If you've lost somebody that you've loved, you have hope if they were a believer. I have hope for this world because I know my God is mighty and powerful. Verse 10, chapter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will, listen to this, pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. And God one day will uncreate the heavens and the earth. This is the uncreation. This is the destruction of everything that we've seen and know around us. This is what the word says. The earth is going to be destroyed. Verse 11. There's going to be an end to this world. (laughs) And this is not a doomsday prophecy. Be scared of it thing for us as believers. We have this incredible hope, and I'll I'll show you what it is. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So here's Peter's appeal. Listen to this. He says, If the Bible clearly predicts the last days, which it does. And if the Bible, in indicating the last days, describes it as being full of people that leave the faith, twist the faith, um, make it comfortable for what they, and it, and, it, and it does, it's happening. And also, if the last days are filled with mockery, secular mockery of Christ and God and our faith, and it is, then for us who are believers... It should invoke a godly response. What manner of person ought we to be during this time? With what's going on around us, what type of people are we to be right now? How should we live? How should I live? What manner of person ought you to be to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to people around you? If this world is going to be burned up, what kind of people should we be? First of all, If the world's going to be burned up, don't be too materialistic. (laughs) That's kind of funny, but it's true. If everything that you have right now, let's let's, let's say you are as wealthy as Brad Pitt, right? You've got money. You know, none of that goes with you. Nothing. Do, do you know that, that, that no materialistic thing enters into heaven? But relationships, they will be there. You will recognize friends and family members. You will know the people that you've known from the past. Your impact of what you are making right now on earth, what kind of person are you now? Are you living for the materialistic? Or are you sowing into your family, into your home, into your neighbors, into your your office building, wherever you are? Are you making a difference there? Are you bringing the hope? 
So don't, don't focus on materialistic things. The second thing, we shouldn't be mockers or skeptics. We shouldn't scoff at it because um, that's scoffing in Jesus' face. He's coming back, people. There's no doubt about it. Your response should be a godly response, filled with hope as you anticipate His coming. I'm going to sum it up this way. The Bible's revelation of the world's consummation should invoke godly motivation. The Bible's revelation of the world's consummation should invoke godly motivation. I'm going to leave you with this. Be careful of spiritual entropy, meaning where you are just floating, floating doing nothing. Be careful of the tendency to just let things slide. Just let things drift. Things drift away from you. Don't allow your relationship with your wife to decline. Don't allow your relationship with your husband to spiral down. Don't let things slide. Don't just live with it. Don't allow your relationship with your children. Don't just be oh, complacent with it. It's just going to be, no. Pursue love. Pursue hope. Pursue grace. Like, go for it. Be aware of it. Be careful of it. Second, be confident in spiritual truth. Now, church, this is a key. That's why you need to get into the Word. Read the promises of Scripture. Believe all the things Jesus said about His coming. Be confident in spiritual truths. But you can't be confident in something you don't know. Read your Bibles. The third thing, be consistent in spiritual activity. Be consistent in your commitment to your God, to your family, to your church, to your friends, to your neighbors, to the people that you work with. Be consistent because that's the healthy balance between waiting for Jesus and just being in a world and in a culture where you're not making a difference. So for believers living in the last days, keep your eyes on the sky. Keep your hands on the plow because Jesus could come back anytime he chooses. Could be tomorrow. Could be the end of 2022 as we celebrate New Year's. God willing. I know I'm ready. Hope you're ready. It's a message of hope the last days. We have this amazing hope. Something to be excited about. Now, I want to ask everybody to close their eyes because I, I know the first step to be excited and not fearful of the last days is, is step one is for us not to be fearful is we must have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you said yes to God? Maybe you've heard the message before. Maybe you've never heard a message before where, where you are told that the only way to heaven is by Jesus Christ. That is the only way because He's the only one that pays for sins. No one else has done that. It's only Jesus who pays for your sins. So this morning, there's not a big ritual or, or big thing that we have to go through to accept Christ. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I say yes and I receive you as my Savior. 
I receive you as my God and my the only God. There is no other. I receive you as my Savior. So if you've never said yes to Jesus before, and this morning you feel that there's something stirring on the inside of your heart, something that, that you can feel like, like there's, there's, there's like a poking that's happening on the inside of you. If you've never said yes to, before to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do it this morning. And it's as simple as saying, raising your hand and saying, I say yes. If you've never done that before, I want to give you the opportunity to raise your hand now. And you can take it down again. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Heavens are rejoicing. Amen. Fantastic. Great. It's beautiful. This is how simple God has made it for us. There's no ritual. There's no religious thing that you have to go through. It's just saying, Jesus, I accept you. Let, let all of us pray. There's, there's quite a few people that's raised their hands this morning, which means we have new brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God, which is amazing. Amazing, amazing. Let's... But let's pray together, and I want everybody to repeat after me. Jesus Christ, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for all my sins. Thank you that I am washed and that I am cleansed and that I am now part of the family of God. And because of that, I have hope. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, what I do want to encourage, if you raise your hand afterwards, our prayer team is going to be here at the front. Come to them and say, you know what? I raised my hand this morning. Would you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And all they're going to do is they're going to, first of all, be excited because of the decision that you've made. This is something to be proud of. This is something to declare, to almost voice, that you are part of God's kingdom now. You have a hope that the world the world, it doesn't have that hope. You have it now. So this morning, come forward. Come and pray with them. And for those of you that's been scared about the end times, I hope this settles it in your heart. Don't be scared. But live lives that are active in the process of trying to win people for God's kingdom with good news that God loves them unconditionally. Let's stand firm in our truths. And let's love people. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.